You're listening to The Gospel Effect, a sermon series about the teachings of Jesus and how they should affect the lives of Christians. For more information about Elevate Church, please visit us online at www.elevatechurch.ms. All right, what's up, Elevate? We doing good? Yeah? Look at the person sitting next to you and tell them they look great today. Say, not as great as you look, but they do. They look great today. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Robert Andrews, one of the pastors here at Elevate Church, and I am so glad that you are joining us today. We are in the second week of a series that we have titled The Gospel Effect. The Gospel Effect. And we live in a world, really, where things easily affect us, like lack of sleep. Does a lack of sleep ever affect anybody out there? I know it affects me. I remember years ago, Amanda and I had this cricket that was terrorizing our house. It was terrorizing our home. And I remember every night uh, for about a week when we would lay down to go to sleep and we would turn the lights off, I would just be getting ready to enter into that good sleep. You know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, man, that cricket would go to cricket and, you know, chirping or whatever it is. He's like, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, man, what in the world? And so I'm trying to cover up my ears with the pillow. You know what I mean? And it's not working. It's not drowning out that sound. And I look over there at Amanda and she's just sleeping through the whole thing, smiling. And I'm like, how in the world can you sleep through this? You know, in my mind, I said that. If I'd have said that out loud, she'd have hit me. But anyway, so I'm like, man, how in the world is she able to sleep through this? And that thing just wouldn't stop. And so for a week, for a week, it was just terrorizing us. And I remember uh, one night I'd laid, to, I'd laid down to go to bed and turn the lights off and it started chirping, you know, and I turned the lights back on to try to find it. But every time I would turn the lights on, guess what? It would stop, you know? And so I turned the lights back off again and it started chirping like it was laughing at me. <laughs> you know, that's what it was doing at me. Just over and over and over and over and over again laughing at me. And so I'm like, dude, this, I'm so upset. You know what I mean? So I, I'm looking over to Amanda again and she is sleeping. I'm like, this thing has to die. This thing has got to die. It's got to end tonight. And so I wake up, you know what I mean? I throw the covers off of me. I go in looking for some kind of weapon, you know what I'm saying, to use against this cricket. And I got my flashlight and the only thing I could find was a hammer, you know what I'm saying? And so I'm, I'm using my keen tracking skills in the middle of the night, you know, looking around for that cricket, you know what I'm saying? and I finally tracked it down to the bathroom. Well, the problem was the bathroom, the master bathroom, it opened up to Amanda's side of the bed, you know? And so I'm in the bathroom with this hammer and this flashlight, and I don't know what happened, but Amanda wakes up, and she sees me with a flashlight and a hammer, and she freaks out. You know what I'm saying? She's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I I can't take it anymore. I don't know if she thought I was going to kill her or what, but she's like, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm like, man, this, this thing has got to die. This thing has got to die. And I had thought about all these ways to torture this poor cricket. You know, I was like, man, I can catch it and I can use it as fishing bait. You know what I'm saying? I can catch it. I can put it in the toilet and I can make him drown. I was thinking about all these things I could do to this cricket. And so Pastor, what happened to the cricket? It got got, okay? It got got. That's all you need to know. But lack of sleep, man, it affects us. We really are affected by so many things in life, but then there are some things that should affect us, things that should really cause us to change the way we live our lives that really don't have the effect on us that they should. And what we're saying in this series is that the gospel is supposed to affect you. It is supposed to affect me. It is supposed to affect us. It is, it, the words that Jesus taught, they were not just words that were supposed to be spoken into the air and fall unto unreceptive ears. The teachings of Christ really are supposed to affect every aspect of your life. They are supposed to change the way that you and I live our life. They're supposed to cause us to live differently, but do they? Do they? 
Do, do the teachings of Christ really affect you? Do they affect me the way that they should? That's what this series is about. And today, I want to talk to you about what the gospel teaches us about the church. The church, I want to talk to you about the church. How many of you have ever had like a light bulb moment where you finally got something, where it just, it just clicked? You know what I'm saying? And it just, somebody's back there, I did, it was me. Uh, and so it just kind of clicked in your mind. It just kind of clicked in your mind. Uh, growing up, I used to love to watch The Wheel of Fortune. Anybody still watch that show? You know what I'm saying? Uh, I think now, you know, Vanna White, is she still doing it? I haven't seen it in a long time. She's, yeah, man, she's been on that show for a long time. But anyway, so she used to have to, you know, she'll walk over now and she just kind of touches the screen. Bing! You know, it'll change the letters. You know what I'm saying? But back in the day, man, she actually had to walk somewhere and turn a letter. Anybody remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so anyway, but on that show, what happens is they give you a clue about what this puzzle is. It's a person, place, thing. It's a saying. And then, you know, you're guessing letters. And if you guess a letter, you know what I mean? You know, you get to, you get to maybe win some money and all this other good stuff. And they keep guessing letters until one person is finally able to put all those letters together and guess the puzzle. And somebody will say, I've got it. I've got it. In fact, I'd like to solve the puzzle. I love that show. Well, in Matthew chapter 16, Peter has a moment like that. He has a moment where he really figures something out. And what he figures out is so powerful that it changes three continents during his lifetime. It's so powerful what Peter figures out that it has really influenced the reason why you and I are even gathered in church today. And so what did he figure out? I want you to look at it if you got your Bibles. Matthew chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 13. And here's what the Bible says. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, now let me stop for just a second. They're going to keep that up on the screen for you. But let me, let me kind of explain to you what Caesarea Philippi uh, was. Caesarea Philippi was like an outlet mall. But instead of having 100 stores where you could choose clothing and fragrances to wear, uh, Caesarea Philippi was really an outlet mall for all sorts of false religions, all sorts of false gods. There were memorials and statues and altars that were set up everywhere really to commemorate these false gods, gods that we don't even talk about anymore today because they've all been proven to be false. But Jesus and his disciples, they are in Caesarea Philippi. They are in Caesarea Philippi surrounded by all these false gods. These, these people are worshiping false gods. They're everywhere. They are bringing offerings. And so they are expressing their commitment to these false gods. And it's in that place that Jesus asked his disciples this very important question. He looks around at all this going on. And he says, where all these people are worshiping gods. And he says, who do the people say that I am? Who do the people say that I am? Again, I want you to understand where they are. It's very important. You've got to understand that. Verse 14 says, and they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, or Donald Trump, or Hillary Clinton, or Bernie Sanders. Just making sure y'all show with me. That's not really in the Bible. But anyway, what they're basically saying is, hey, uh, really, Jesus, people think that you're one of the political leaders of our day. People think you're one of the political leaders of our day, or there are some people who think you are a hero of the Old Testament. That's who people say you are. And so look at verse 15. But you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And I can imagine there was an awkward pause because, again, they're looking around at all these people who are offering just offerings to all these other gods. They're, they're looking around, and, and after this awkward pause, Simon speaks up, and look what he says. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. God. Folks, this is a light 
bulb moment. This, this is what Peter figured out. This is the moment that the church of Jesus Christ is born. It's in this place where, again, people were bringing all sorts of offerings to false gods and expressing their commitment to them. This is where the church of Jesus Christ is born. And in verse 17, it says, and Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, Jesus uses his natural name there first. He says, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I'll also say that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. Hold on one second. Jesus says, ding, 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 ding. Peter, you got it. You, you really understand. You know what's going on. This is this light bulb moment again that goes on. And again, it's, it's interesting to me that, that Jesus uses Peter's original name, his natural name, Simon, but then he uses the word Peter. He says, I will change your name to Peter, which actually means rock or Petros. That's what it means. Petros, that's the Hebrew, the Greek word there. And then they also use, it's like a stone, I'm sorry, a stone that you would, you would throw on. And then the New Testament translators use another word and they say on this rock. And that word right there is Petrus, which is a large stone, a stone that you can't pick up. So Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, you are a stone. And on this stone, I'm going to build a huge, massive rock. Jesus says, I will build my church and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. Some translations say the gates of Hades. What does the gates of Hades mean? At the gates of a city is where the city council would meet. And that's where they made decisions about important matters. And so what Jesus is basically saying is, hey, there, there's no authority. The authority of Hades will not overpower it. And look what he goes on to say. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is not referring to some physical keys here. What Jesus is basically telling Peter is, I will give you access to the city. I will give you authority in the city. And he says, whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. Now, the disciples, their culture, they would have got what Jesus was talking about here very quickly. But you and I, we're 2,000 years removed from this, and so we really have to understand, we really have to study it to understand what Jesus is trying to tell us here. This verse does not mean that Peter has authority to bind anything on earth that he wants to, and then once he binds it, God has to tell his angels, oh, angels, we got to bind this on earth because Peter, Peter is binding it. That's not, that's not what, it, what it means. See, here's an extreme example. But this is one that hopefully you'll understand. It's easy to understand. Uh, how many of y'all like ice cream cakes? You like ice cream cakes? Dude, my birthday's coming up. If anybody wants to buy me an ice cream cake, you can do that tomorrow. Pastor, I thought your birthday wasn't until February. It's not, but we can celebrate early, okay? I like ice cream cake. So uh, you like ice cream cake. I love ice cream cake. Well, here's what you cannot do. Here's what you cannot do. You can't look at an ice cream cake and say, I bind the calories in that cake. They have no power. They have no authority. They have no effect on me. You cannot do that because listen, if you do that and you eat that entire ice cream cake, guess what? It's gonna, you're going to gain weight, right? You've heard the old saying, a minute on the lips and forever on the hips, right? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You cannot bind those calories. Those calories are unbound. That's not what Jesus is saying to Peter. What Jesus is saying is, Peter, you have heard from the Father. 
Jesus, you, I mean, Peter, you have heard from the Father so clearly. You are so in sync with the Father that if you remain that way, what the Father is already binding, you are going to be in agreement with right here on earth. And whatever the Father is already loosing, you are also going to be in agreement with that. Jesus is saying, Peter, you have heard clearly from the Father. And as long as you do that, you two are going to be in sync with one another. The question that you and I need to be asking ourselves today is, are we in sync with the Father. Verse 20 says, and he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. So let me ask you, why? Why is this light bulb moment so important? Why? Well, here's why. See, I know everyone here, everyone here probably knows somebody who would say they've been hurt by a church. They've been hurt by the church. Well, can I just say that I don't think that happens? Because listen to me, I don't think the church of Jesus Christ hurts people. I think people hurt people. I think people hurt people. And, 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 and when you and I, when you and I understand that Jesus is the ruler of his body, the church doesn't hurt people. The problem happens when men and women think they are in charge of God's church. That's when people get hurt. See, I've heard people criticize organized religion for so long. I've been in ministry now for over 18 years. And can I just say that there is nothing organized about ministry? There's not. There's nothing organized about the church. The church is made up of broken and chaotic people. And that's what gives me hope. That's what gives me hope. I just want to go on record this morning and say that I love the church of Jesus Christ. I love you. I love what you do. I love gathering here with you. I love being in God's presence. And the reason why is because I remember when I was 15 years old and I wasn't really excited about life and I felt all alone, the church came alongside and they opened up their arms to me and they showed me what it meant to be accepted and they showed me what it was like to have real friendships and they spoke life into me. They spoke purpose into me. They told me that God loved me and they were there when I veered off track to help get me back on track. They really held me accountable and they showed me, you know what, you can be the person that Jesus wants you to be. They came alongside me. They loved me and I saw my life changed and I saw other lives changed and it happened in the church. I love the church. I met my wife in the church Our first date, guess where we went? We went to a church. I have raised my kids in the church. Brianna Grace, my oldest child, she found Jesus Christ in the church. She was baptized in the church. Her best friend she met in the church. She's 11 years old, and she's already figured out what she wants to do with her life. And guess where she figured it out? In in the church. And yes, she may change her mind. She's only 11. But if she changes her mind, it will happen because of the influence of the church. Man, I love the church. I do. I've invited some of my friends, people who are broken and hurt to the church, and the church has welcomed them with open arms. Yes, there are mean-spirited people in the church, but they're not a part of the church. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. And even when we hurt each other, there's so much redemption that can happen in the church I just want you to know that the church is a good thing when Jesus is the head of the church. 
The church is a good thing when the picture of the church we have is Jesus Christ himself. I love the church. And so for people who have been hurt in the church, I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry that there have been people in the name of Jesus who have been greedy, who have been ugly, who have been manipulative. I'm, I'm sorry. But you know, you, know, you know who those people are? Those are broken people who need Jesus Christ and his church. And his church. They just haven't become aware of their sin yet. They need Jesus and they need the church. So when you really study this passage here and you see the church for what it is, you know what happens? We'll commit to the church. When we really understand what the church is, we'll commit to the church. And so for the rest of the time that we have this morning, I want to point out three reasons to you. Three reasons why you and I need to be willing to commit to the church of Jesus Christ. The first one, if you're keeping notes, you want to write them down, is this. I'm committed to church because I have a clear vision of Jesus. I'm committed to the church because I have a clear vision of Jesus. See, the church is where I learned who Jesus Christ was. The church is where I learned that there is only one celebrity in Christianity and his name is Jesus. The church is where I learned that when things are all about Jesus, great things happen. But when you and I make things about other things in this world, that's when destructive things happen. And this is so important because when I was a kid, I didn't know anything about denominations. I didn't. I didn't. My mom rarely took us to church, but when we went, we went to a United Methodist church. We went to a United Methodist church, and again, we didn't go very often, and then when I got into high school, I got invited to an independent Methodist church, and so I went there. After I was at an independent Methodist church, I went to a Baptist church. Then I visited some uh, Pentecostal churches, and then I went to a fundamental church, all while you know, getting my degree from a Wesleyan university, from a Wesleyan university. So what does that make me? Uh, I don't know. Maybe it makes me a United Independent Methodocostal Wesleyan Mentalist. You know what I'm saying? I don't even know what it is. But how many of you, just help me out today. I need some participation. You'll enjoy this better, and I'll probably do a little better job if you participate. How many of y'all grew up from a Methodist background? Methodist background? Anybody here? A couple of us? United, independent, just whatever, all sorts of Methodists. Uh, what about Baptists? Southern Baptists, Missionary Baptists, American Baptists, all sorts of Baptists. Okay, a lot of you. Uh, what about this Presbyterian? It's okay to raise your hand. Yep, okay. Presbyterian, there we go. Uh, what about this Pentecostal? Just one hand's fine, okay? Just one hand's fine. No, I'm just kidding. Y'all don't get that joke. Anyway, that's funny. I don't care who you are. Uh, but anyway, so uh, here's what I want to do. Uh, I'm going gonna, I wanna, I wanna, I'm gonna to count to three, and what I want you to do is on the count of three, I want you to just say your spiritual background. If you didn't grow up in church, on the count of three, all you got to do is say none, okay? But on the count of three, one, two, three, you're going to say, hey, I went, whoa, 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 and we're going to try to hear, okay? So if you didn't come from anybody, say none, all right? So one, two, three. What? All right, well, let's do it again. Some, some people were a little late getting in on that. All right, one, two, three. Did, did that make any sense? No. Now watch this. Who's the most important person? Who? Which is more clear? Jesus. Right? That's more clear. See, when Jesus is the most important thing, that's when we're clear, and that's when we're the most effective. When we're fighting amongst our different groups, that's not effective. It's meant to be all about Jesus. 
Jesus asked his disciples, he says, who do you say I am? And in verse 16, Simon Peter answers and he says this, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. That has to be the foundation for everything in church. And see, in that verse, Peter hits on three different ideas or concepts uh, about God. Uh, the first one is he says, you are the Messiah. They'll leave that up there for you. The Messiah. What, is, what, is that, what does that mean? In the Greek, that word Messiah means deliverer or rescuer. Peter is saying, you are our rescuer. See, all his life, he had heard that a Messiah was going to come, and people really felt like it was going to be a king coming like King David who's going to set them free from the Roman Empire. But, but that's not what happened. Peter has this revelation about Jesus Christ, and he says, hey, you know what? The Messiah is not a king like that. The Messiah is from a poor carpenter's family who washes feet. And he says, Jesus, you are our rescuer. You are our savior. You are our deliverer. And then he says, you are the son of the living God. That word, that word son there, what does that mean? In their culture, they would have understood this. Son meant co-equal. You were co-equal with the father. And if you study history, what you're going to find out is that Caesar, in an effort to unite the kingdom, he wanted everybody there to call him son of God, son of God. They considered him to be some sort of divine being. He was the son of God is what that was. So when Jesus has this title here, this wasn't just something spoken into the air. Man, this would have been treason. This would have been illegal to happen for anybody to call Jesus that. It would have been as if Jesus approaches Caesar and says, hey, look, I may be the son of a carpenter. I may come from a family of no names, but you know what? I am the one who created you, Caesar, and you are not co-equal with the father. I am. Peter says, Jesus, you are our rescuer. You are co-equal with the father. And then he throws in this idea of the living God. What does that mean? The living God. See, it doesn't just mean God is alive. The Jewish people would have understood that. Duh, he was alive. But Jesus, this idea here is that Jesus has the authority to give life. So you've got to see what Peter is saying here. He says, you are the rescuer. You are the co-equal with the Father who can give life to anything dead. See, Peter had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. Peter had seen Jesus raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. And when that happened, Peter thought, oh my, this is the one. This is the one who has authority to give death, to give life to the death. He is co-equal. He is our rescuer. This, that right there, that is the revelation that founded the church Peter saw Jesus very clearly. And when you and I see Jesus that way, we'll commit to his church. We'll commit to his church. So the second thing that I want you to see, the second reason why we commit to a church is I commit to a church. I commit to the church because I have a job on the building team. I have a job on the building team. Now, I didn't grow up with a father. When I was born, my father rolled out on my family. Uh, so I grew up with my mom, my granny, and my sister. They raised me. So I learned how to wash dishes. I learned how to run the vacuum cleaner. I learned how to wash clothes. I learned how to do those types of things. My mom and them did not teach me how to use power tools, okay? 
Uh, they did not. And I remember when I was 16 years old, I wanted to do something special for my mom. She had just gotten a, uh, an antique table from my mama, and that antique table was in rough shape, and it had uh, like claw legs, these claw legs on it. But my mama, what she, what she had little puppies, little dogs, and those dogs would just gnaw and gnaw and gnaw and gnaw on those claw legs, and so it didn't look like claws anymore. It looked like a sponge down there, you know what I'm saying? It looked real rough. And so I wanted to refinish and restore that table for my mom, but I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to do it. But there was a guy named Jess Rokas who I met in the church, and he knew how to do that stuff. And he said, Robert, I'll, I'll help you do that. So I got that table to his house, and he showed me how to strip the old finish off of that table. And man, this little table, this table had so many little, little cracks and crevices that you really couldn't use a, a power tool on it. You had, to, you had to sand it really with your hand. You had to do a lot of hard work with it. One of the claws was really missing, and so you had to put a whole new piece of wood in there, and then you had to chisel, you had to cut, and you had to shape an entirely new claw out of it. And I remember looking at it and thinking, man, I'll never be able to do this. I'll never be able to do this. This is impossible. But guess what? I got it done. And you know why? Because Mr. Jess told me I could do it. Because Mr. Jess believed in me. Because Mr. Jess made me believe in myself. And so I took what I had learned from refinishing that table, and I refinished a sewing machine cabinet for my mom. I refinished a, a, a nightstand, a dresser, several other pieces of furniture. I, I mean, and I'm here to tell you, at 16 years old, I never thought I'd be able to do that. And I'm not trying to brag on anything I've done. Here's what I want you to understand. A lot of us were just like I was as a 16-year-old boy when it comes to doing things for God. We think, I'll never be able to do that. It's impossible. I can't do that. But I'm telling you, Jesus is looking at you and saying, yes, you can. We are on God's building Team. Jesus has this preferred method of using broken people to build his church. And you know what? He says, with broken people, I will build my church. That's what Jesus Christ said. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. He said, for we are God's co-workers. Turn to your neighbor and say, we are God's co-workers. Tell him, we're, we're God's Co-workers, now turn to the person who just talked to you and say, man, if that preacher makes me talk to you one more time, I'm not coming back to this church. Just kidding. But here's the thing. Think about who Peter was. See, back, back in, in his day, there were basically three levels of education. You, when you were five years old, you, you basically went to the first level. And, and if you, you would study the Old Testament, and if you were good at memorizing, you know what would happen? You'd get invited to the second level. And again, at that second level of education, if you were good at memorization again, you would be invited to go to the third level of education. Then if you were good at that and you actually graduated from that third level, you could seek a rabbi to follow, and that is basically where your life journey would begin. Well, guess what level of school Peter went to? We don't really know for sure. Peter was a fisherman. And most people with fish guts all over their shirt and tunic, they didn't get invited to the third level for sure. Peter likely would not have had the grades to get into Heinz Community College. 
And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, all your life, you've been rejected. You didn't even want to follow me until you saw the miracle of the fish. But Peter, from the first time I started this thing, I knew from the fish guts on your shirt, the calluses on your hands, there is something inside of you, Peter. And if you'll let me grab a hold of it, man, there is a leader inside of you. There is a courage inside of you. There is a moral authority inside of you. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, if you will let me grab a hold of you, I will do such a great work in your life that three continents on this planet will be impacted by you for my name's sake. And I want you to know today that Jesus looks at you and he says the same exact thing. He wants to use you to change this world. There is something inside of you that he wants to grab a hold of if you will let him. He says that. He wants to use us to build his church, a force that is so expansive and powerful that the gates of Hades cannot prevail against it. He says, I will build my church with you no matter what your past is, no matter where you come from, no matter who you are, he wants to use you to build. And so how? How do, we, how do we build? How do we build? Three things. We really build with our gifts. Our gifts. You have a gift. You have a tone. You have a style. You, you have something unique about you that only you can do. If you choose not to do what you can do, it will never be done. There's something special, again, about you. And so we have to take the step of faith and understand that each and every one of us are gifted and we are essential to each other. We encourage one another. And, and not by simply telling people, hey, you look great today. We encourage people by saying there is something inside of you. We say that. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12 says this. It says, and he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints and the work of ministry to what? To build up the body of Christ. The gifts that God gives are meant to give more gifts. The gifts that God gives are for you and I to serve others. Ephesians 4 goes on to tell us there are basically two ways that you can grow any church. Any church in America, any church in this world can grow if we'll do these two things. If we grow in love and as everyone does their part. That's what Ephesians 4 says. That's really what it says. See, if all you have is a church full of people who are doing their part, but they're not loving, guess what? They're not going to grow. But if you have a church and they're nothing but loving and nobody does their part, guess what? It's not going to grow either. We grow as we love one another and as each person does their part heart. That's how the church grows. How else do we build God's church? What is our job on the building team? Well, we build God's church with our attendance, with our attendance. We, we build the church of God just by showing up. Now, how many of y'all would just be honest and admit that showing up isn't always easy? It's not. It's not. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says this, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. See, even in the New Testament, it was hard for people to be in the habit of meeting together, of showing up at church. And listen, I, I say this in love, but if you only attend church every now and then, you're missing out on one of the benefits that God has for you. You are. 
You are. The best benefit is being committed to come every time. Now, how many of you own a child today? You own one, really? You know what I'm saying? I mean, if they, if they still live in your house, you own them, okay? I mean, you got to pay for the bill. That's what's going on. Uh, I got three of them. I got three of them. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but if you have kids, it's especially hard to get to church, right? Because here's what happens. Usually one person gets ready and they're ready to go and they're sitting here going, man, I sure wish that they would hurry up and go because we're going to be late if they don't hurry up and go. And the person that they're waiting on is over there. If I just had somebody helping me brush their hair and brush their teeth, we wouldn't be late. We'd be, anybody know what I'm talking about? And then you're like, man, you you finally make it to the car and everybody, there's just all this tension in the car, right? There's all this tension. You look in the rearview mirror and that one child that was just perfectly clean, man, you look back there and they got gold lipstick all over their face. You're like, man, what in the world happened? And so you have to go to them and you're like a dog licking them, you know what I mean? Trying to make them clean to make them clean and you finally get them clean and you start going and you get on the road and there's traffic and you're like man would these people get out of my way why don't you use your blinker you're in the fast lane this is not the passing get over get over and then you finally show up at church you know what I'm saying there's no parking spot you're like I don't want to have to park at Wyatt's gym that reminds me I need to be working out I don't want to work out so you're all mad and you come in here and you're like I love you love right it's weird that's how we are That's how we are. It's hard to get here. But if it was easy, it wouldn't change your life. It's the hard things that change your life. If it was easy, there would be no benefit to it. It's hard because it works. It's hard because the devil doesn't want you here. It's hard because he doesn't want you to grow in your relationship with God. It's hard because it works. It's true. And listen to me, again, I say this in love, but your kid is not that good at baseball. Your kid is not that good at soccer. If you think they're going to make it to the big leagues, bless your heart, right? It's not going to happen. It's not. But I will tell you this. If you model, listen to me, if you model to your church, your, your, your kid, that we only go to church whenever we don't have baseball, whenever we don't have soccer, whenever we don't have football, whenever we don't have hunting, or whatever activity. If, if you say, hey, we only go to church when we don't have something else to do, you know what's going to happen when they move out of your house? They're always going to have something else to do. Please don't miss that. 20-year-olds, they don't want to go to church. They always got stuff to do. I'm tired. I got to get some sleep. I ain't got no money. You know what I'm saying? They they don't want to go to church. They don't want to go to church. And so you have to model that going to church is a healthy habit, just like brushing your teeth, just like brushing your hair, just like taking a bath. You don't want to have a stinky kid, right? Teach your kid to bathe and teach them to come to church. It's good for them. It's good for them. We build God's church by using our gifts, by just showing up. And another way we build God's church is by just being connected. By being connected. Sharing life with one another. I don't know if you'll admit this or not, but we all long for deep relationships, for meaningful relationships, for meaningful friendships. We want and need people in our life who will help us. And the way that that happens is by sharing life with one another, getting connected. Don't hold back. Get connected. 
So we commit to the church when we have a clear vision of who Jesus is. We commit to the church when we realize, you know what? I have a job on the building team. And a third one, real quick. We commit to church because we have a guarantee of winning. We commit to church because we have a guarantee of winning. See, there aren't many guarantees in life. They're not. But look at what Jesus says again in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He says, and I also say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. The forces of Hades will not overpower it. The church has a guarantee of winning. And once we realize who Jesus is, that he is our rescuer, that he is co-equal with God, that he is, he is the one who has the power to give life. And once we realize, you know what, I have a job to do. So I'm going to grab my hammer. And it, it doesn't matter what things look like. It doesn't matter what things look like. I, I know that I have a guarantee of winning. See, I'm wrapping up. But how many of you would just admit that at one point in your life, you dated somebody that you knew wasn't going to work out? A couple people just being, you know, being honest. A couple of us want to be honest in church. That's all right. But I mean, sometimes, sometimes we date people and, and we just know it ain't going to work out. But I'm, you know, whatever. And so I'm, I, I don't know. I'm just glad I'm done with that. I'm glad I am in a committed relationship. I am glad that I am in a committed marriage. See, I remember Amanda and I, we had been dating for a while and I knew she was the one. I wanted to marry her. I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. And so I was working at an after-school enrichment program for kids. And it was our end-of-the-year program. And it was a 60s-theme program. And so I'm wearing tie-dye shirt, big old afro on my head. I'm, now my hair's not there no more, but anyway. I'm, I'm wearing this afro. And we... We, we were in a cafeteria performing for all these parents. And at the end of the program, at the end of the program, all the kids, they come out on stage and they've got signs around their neck. I got a sign around my neck, peace signs and things of that nature. And there's music playing in the background. Then the music stops and a little Barry Manilow comes on. That song, I Can't Smile Without You. That song comes on and all the kids flip up their signs. And across those signs, it said, will you marry me, sweet girl? And my sign had a check yes or no. And I got down on my knee in front of everybody there. And I asked Amanda to marry me. I, I wanted to be committed to her. I wanted her to be committed to me. I didn't want her looking for love somewhere else. I wanted her committed to me. She said yes. <laughs> but can I just say that that's exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. He's gotten down on his knee and he's saying, will you commit to me? He wants us to be his bride. He wants us to be married. He wants us to be committed to him. Have we committed to him? Have you committed to him?
Because see, when you have a clear picture of who he is, when you have a clear picture of what he wants to do, that you have a clear picture of a bright future, you can't help but say, I do. What's your answer to God today? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life, but I wonder today if there's somebody here and you know that you haven't been living for God. I want you to know today that Jesus is on his knees. He's asking you to marry him, to enter into a relationship that's so deep and meaningful that it will change every aspect of your life. And so if you're here today and you know you need to be saved, you know you need to commit to Christ, I'm gonna ask that right where you are, you lift your hand because I wanna pray for you. Amen. Amen. You need to be saved today. If that's you right where you are, I'm going to ask that you pray, Father, forgive me for living for myself. Forgive me, Father, for not recognizing exactly who you are. Father, today, come into my heart. I confess you as Lord and Savior. Make me into a new person. Help me to commit to you all the days of my life. As we continue to pray, Father, I just want to ask that you would help each and every one of us to understand that you've called us to commit to your church. Father, oftentimes we don't really look at ourselves as someone who can really accomplish anything great for you. God, but you really do want to use us to change this world. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us, use us to truly be the salt and light in this dark world. We'd like to thank you for listening and encourage you to visit our website at www.elevatechurch.ms so you can learn more about being blessed and blessing others at Elevate Church.